This week's podcast is sponsored by the Bowers & Wilkins 600 Series 3. The eighth generation of one of Hi-Fi's most acclaimed ranges features some of the most comprehensive upgrades the 600 Series has ever received. The Bowers & Wilkins 600 Series 3 is designed for every music lover. It's the attainable way to experience the joys of true sound at home. Discover more at BowersWilkins.com. Hello and welcome to the AV Forms podcast for Monday the 13th of November and uh, a little bit of a confession up front this is a pre-recorded podcast um, we are busy on the Monday unfortunately some of us are, are away doing secret squirrel stuff um, and uh, we're not around so it is recorded but don't worry uh, it is going out at the usual time on YouTube so if you are watching us now uh, on the premiere then a very good evening to you thank you very much for joining us you can still ask your questions and producer Andy will round them up and we'll ask uh, answer them uh, in the next podcast so tonight I'm joined by uh, regulars Martin Chu, Ed Selly and Ian Cullen good evening gentlemen hello sir oh and right, so what are we doing this week? Well, this week, I'm going to be reviewing two Panasonic TVs. Uh, they use two slightly different display technologies. So I'll be looking at the MZ1500 OLED and the company's first mini LED TV, the MX950. Uh, both of those reviews are on AV forums, full in-depth reviews. And there will also be video reviews popping up on our YouTube channel as well. But we will discuss some very briefly tonight and go through uh, some of the pros and cons with them. Martin's going to be taking a look at an integrated amplifier from Parasound, um, a name that goes back many decades uh, in home cinema and hi-fi. So we'll be covering that as well as Ed looking at latest hi-fi news. And you'll also be taking a look at the uh, Audiolab 9000N streamer, which uh, has plenty of comments on the thread. Uh, it's generated quite a bit of discussion. We'll be discussing it a little bit more uh, tonight in the podcast. And of course, we'll also be answering your feedback and answering some of your questions. Uh, not in the chat live tonight, but like I say, producer Andy will be rounding them up. He has been doing that on a regular basis, looking through the threads, uh, looking through the discussion on YouTube and uh, collating all of those questions. And we endeavour to answer them. And that's exactly what we're going to do in the next segment of the podcast right now. Um, so, yeah, if you want questions answered, then look uh, for this podcast in the podcast forums on AV forums. So if you've got the forum list, look all the way down to the bottom and you'll find the podcast forum down there. Find this episode and then just leave your question in there and we'll get back to you. We'll either answer it in the thread or for everybody's benefit, we'll come back in the next podcast and answer them for you. Uh, if that's no good for you, you can also email podcast at avforums.com. Uh, send your emails in. We will pick them up. We will uh, get the questions answered. And of course, uh, in this area, down, down the bottom, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you're watching the video, uh, you can leave your comments, feedback and questions there. And again, we'll collate those and uh, and we will answer them. So the first question was actually from, from myself, from uh, Silverback007. Uh, he asks, Phil, what's you, what TV would you want for Christmas? I've got a feeling that this is a loaded question. You're looking at me to say, what is the best TV of uh, 2023 and would I buy it and, and so and so? If I'm open to buying any TV or having any TV for, for Christmas, um, I think what I'd go for is a micro LED, uh, 200 inch, uh, maybe, um, you know, these uh, these things that cost 200 odd thousand pounds at the minute. Um, yeah, go for one of them. Um, and that way I'm not um, I'm not giving you the answer to what I think is the best TV of 2023 just yet. Uh, you'll have to wait for that one. And that question was asked on YouTube. Um there is another question from uh, Bubble Trap Me or Bubble Wrap. No, Bubble Wrapped Me uh, states, 
Uh, Philips uh, OLED Plus 908 TV. Um, how Philips dare to launch a TV in the UK at that price without proper Freeview app support is beyond me. If you're going to point that one, you have to point it at most Google TV um, TVs this year. Uh, the vast majority do not at this moment in time have Freeview Play or uh, any of the UK catch-up services, apart from maybe Channel 5 app appears on some of them. Um, those are rights issues. Those are being worked out. Uh, I have asked Philips directly because I've got the 908 in for review at the minute. Um, they see that as a 2024 update. Uh, it is coming. It's just you've got two separate uh, parties having to negotiate. Um, so those will be coming. And it's not just Philips. Sony uh, was the same. So the A95L didn't have any of the UK catch-up services available uh, out of the box as things stand on Google TV. Um, and it is the case um, for... Uh, quite a few Google TVs. So the apps will appear. Um, it just comes down to licensing uh, and, and other bits and pieces. And it looks like this is quite TV heavy. So I hope the other guys don't mind it. I'll try and race through these as quickly as possible. So we're moving on to streaming uh, and the streaming debate. And AB Forums member, uh, Toon Army, says he uses filmmaker mode all the time and he's never experienced any dimming issues with the G3. Uh, he's been surprised with the level of brightness and had to check your picnic picture picnic sentence. Wish it did have a picnic setting. Um, picture settings. Um, he has to check them. Yes, it is a very bright TV. It's great for bright rooms. Uh, OLED really has come on um, this year with MLED technology micro lens array. It really does boost the brightness. You can watch these TVs now in a bright room and not really worry about it, whereas LCD TVs were always the thing. So um, one key aspect for him is the quality speed of the broadband connection when it comes to streaming, and that is that is the case. Um there's lots of questions and, and answers about this in terms of uh, motion, in terms of uh, streaming quality. So and at, at the end of the day, it'll come down to your broadband um, and how good uh, that is. Uh, then what the service is using. If you're in the UK um, using some of these services, uh, they do use lower bit rates. Um, you may be better off using a VPN and visiting the US version of setups uh, to get better uh, streaming quality and so on. Um, so yeah, there's there's a few things to get through here. Um, uh, faster frame rates. So uh, David D six six three seven says he prefers twenty four frames per second for film, uh, but he does agree with Jules when it comes to frame rate for future HDR sports and so on. Higher frame rate. I've seen this. I've seen demonstrations of it. Um, it's been around for a little while now. It's not commercially available just yet, but yeah, it makes a big difference for sports, and it's something that we've never actually stopped any of you guys doing out there with your TVs, 24 frames per second, switch interpolation off. If it's sports, it's it's video-based, it's captured by video cameras, not film cameras. Um, yeah, add interpolation in if you feel that that's what it needs. Smooth it out if you feel that, you know, your sports content, that's what it needs. Um, anybody else had demonstrations of higher frame rate sports? Martin, have you seen it yet? You're still oh, muted, you're on, mate. You're on mute. Never mind. <laughs> no, I, I had a couple of demos at uh, CES. Uh, did, I mean, admittedly, yeah. it was American sport. So it was long long periods of standing around in high frame rate, followed by brief bursts of moving around in high frame rate. Um, I do get it. Um, it's hard to um, get past the slightly hyper-real sort of thing, because it doesn't look like that yeah. when you're sat in the stadium. You know, it still doesn't look, it's still not 100% realistic, but... Uh, you know, I can see that see the virtue, and by the time things are really going like the clappers, so you know, motorsport and certain other you know, very high intensity things, it does allow you to get details that you're otherwise missing. I don't 
think it's going to be an immediate thing where it looks less uncanny is it's going to take some time to get get your head around and it's naturally going to come down to how well people do it so but i've got an open mind yeah i I mean our eyes don't work at 120 frames per second or 144 frames a second you know you just do that in front of your eyes and you can't see any detail or whatever there's there is a natural blur uh, to to movement and um, your eye doesn't see what you think it sees either. You know your eyes constantly scanning and and your brain's actually making up a lot of what it is that you see it based on um, you know uh, it, its experience. So it, it, your eyes don't work like a camera and yeah, higher frame rate makes things look nice and sharp and and but it does have that super real super smooth look to it because our eyes don't work that way. There is a natural um image blur to everything that we see um and motion blur to what we see uh, and that's a beauty of film sometimes you know it's a lower frame rate 24 frames um per second uh, it's it's why it was chosen it looks natural it has that aesthetic to it that um higher frame rates even going up to 48 frames per second it looks odd um especially for i think it's a generational thing um certainly for those of us who grew up on film projection and uh, 24 frames per second and slow frame rates for TV and so on. Uh, we're kind of used to seeing that. And I think um, generations coming up now with uh, games consoles and other um, uh, viewing displays and that kind of thing, uh, smartphones uh, displays at 120 hertz and um, you know TVs with frame tabulation switched on out of the box and so on. I think people have gotten used to that look as well. And I think there's there's definitely two different camps there, but anyway, I think it does uh, cheapen the look, though. It does, yeah. Bill, particularly of movies, and uh, there's something a little bit magical about 24 frames per second, the one that got settled on, and obviously there there were reasons for that. How many frames you could get going through a camera, but what they settled on seems to work very well, and it gives film a slightly dreamy, slightly surreal, slightly removed um, feel, yeah. which uh, suits very well, suits the medium. Yeah, it does, and, uh, and and like I say, people who have grown up like 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 us, Martin, we've always been to the cinema. We remember the flicker from the projectors back in the day, and 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 so on. And like I say, it gives it a certain look. But yeah, um, for sports and for video uh, captured um, programming, you know, I think interpolation does work to a certain degree, and and we would never stop people doing that. But for film. Try and see it at twenty four frames per second. It, it, you know, it's it's done that way for a reason, and and like Martin says, it does have that aesthetic to it, that look to it. Um, moving on quickly, six 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 J G N knots or G G knots asks, um, wants to pick my brains about the LG C two and watching TNT Sports UHD via Virgin. He says it now looks far too saturated, whereas when it was BT Sports UHD. Um, without HDR, it didn't look as saturated. Uh, what's the issue there? I don't know. Is the is is my honest answer? Um, I don't have a C two and I, I don't have TNT Sports UHD to look at that. Um, why it's oversaturated? I I can't tell you that. There's a couple of things that you could check. Uh, you could check what the metadata is uh, if the the uh, the Skybox or whatever it is that you're watching on is sending any me- metadata to the TV. What is it sending? Is it HLG? Um, and uh, maybe uh, anybody that has that setup or a very similar setup, maybe you can chip in uh, in the comments section. Um, have you witnessed this? Is it an issue? Um, the only thing I was going to suggest is that maybe look at color space settings in your TV um, and just check that uh, that is set the way it should be set, um, which on the C2, if left in auto, it should be okay. But 
if the signal sending the wrong metadata, it could be that it's triggering the wrong color space. So just check that and see if that uh, is potentially an issue. If not, um, then I'm not really sure what the issue would be there. And we need some more information from other people. And then we could maybe approach uh, TNT Sports and ask them what is actually uh, happening with their UHD signal. Um, I've got a feeling if it's coming via Virgin, it should be HLG. And um, although I don't want to say that because I don't know. We need a little bit more information. Hopefully, if we get that information, we can answer that question a little bit more for you. And if we can reach out um, to TNT and maybe get some technical information on that, we will try and do that as well. Um, just a couple of other comments. Again, uh, on about bandwidth and so on, completely agree uh, with all those comments. Um, we need to see an uptick in bandwidth. People, uh, the internet connections are getting better in, in certainly in the UK. I can't speak for the US or other uh, areas. Some places in the US are fantastic. Some other places I've visited have uh, very slow internet. I guess it's it's wherever you are and, and what the infrastructure is. In the UK, it is getting better. We're getting more fibre to box anyway, um, and certainly more fibre uh, to the home as well. So we should see things improve from that aspect. It's then whether these streaming services then up their game, and you would like to think that they would do that in terms of uh, you know Netflix and Prime. And I know Bravia Core. Uh, that whole service is high bit rate, but it's very restricted to Sony owners. So hopefully that'll uh, resolve itself and get a little bit better as we go on. Um, very quickly, Sony A95L review. So again, comments coming in um, on this, uh, mainly about how expensive it is. Yes, it is an expensive TV. I've, I've pointed this out a number of times in my review. Um, these TVs, the the flagship TVs at the minute, so the, uh, the Philips 908, the LG G3, um, the Samsung S95C, they all have their pros and cons. Um, where the Sony has the major con is that it's about a thousand quid more uh, than all the others. And it, when it comes to performance, you ain't getting that. Um, and you're not even getting any anything that that's different from the other TVs as well in terms of build quality or design or whatever. So it is kind of difficult to justify the cost at the minute um, if you are... Uh, looking at budget, uh, there will be some people where that's just not a consideration. They, they don't care about the price; they just want the best. Uh, but for those who do look at value, um, because the Sony's come out so late in the year, that is a reason why it's still top heavy when it comes to pricing, and that should um, settle itself a little bit um, when we get a, a little bit further down the line, probably into the next year. I wouldn't expect any discount for Black Friday. Uh, when it comes to the A95L. So hopefully that answers uh, the questions from uh, Gonza Deak and Sonola777. So hopefully that answers your questions. Right, and uh, just to wrap up on the Q&A bit, um, I'm conscious we spent a little bit of time on this, but we will move swiftly. Uh, the podcast format. Now, I did say that we are looking at changing the format going into uh, the new year, 2024. And the idea is that we're going to separate the podcasts out and spend a little bit more time on each of the main categories. So the, going forward, we're looking at introducing a TV podcast that would go out on a Monday night. There's going to be a separate hi-fi podcast and then a separate home cinema audio podcast um, that discusses the whole home cinema side of things, uh, projectors, sound systems, AVRs, that kind of thing. TV that will focus on TV, hi-fi, the ed uh, can deep dive into some of the, the burning issues around hi-fi. And we want to make it interesting for you listeners. Uh, we want to educate. Uh, we want to tell you about some of the things that we are looking at, some of the new technology that's coming along and our opinions on that, but also 
giving you tips and tricks and pushing you in the right direction in terms of what is the correct uh, speaker position, for example, for a Dolby Atmos sound system and what's recommended, what actually works in the real world. Uh, we'll look at getting more uh, guests in from the industry as well. And because we're going to separate these out and we know there's going to be 12 episodes uh, of each uh, for the year, we're going to have um, some kind of storyline that goes through them or um, in the example of hi-fi, Ed might actually look at building a hi-fi system through the year and giving you ideas on components to add into a system for a certain budgets and, and so on and what you actually need in 2024 um, in terms of a hi-fi system. Is it is it multiple boxes or is it just a couple of boxes these days? There's all these kinds of subjects that we can get into. So that's our thinking um, for next year. Uh, the other thing is that we're going to move the podcast uh, over to the uh, AV Forums podcast channel. So that is a separate channel uh, that does exist. Uh, go bookmark it and subscribe now, uh, AV Forums podcast. Um, all the podcasts are going to move over there. You'll find all our short uh, podcasts over there at the moment so little sections of the podcast uh, that we are interested in they get made into smaller videos so you can go and have a look at the bite-sized uh, versions of those so that's the plan so what do you guys think um is that something that interests you uh, being a little bit more focused on each subject maybe deep diving into uh, certain tv models in a little bit more detail um, actually getting this stuff in for review and then going into a little bit more detail within the podcast that we don't maybe cover in our written reviews or video reviews and so on. So give us your ideas and what you think on that uh, going forward. Um, and we've had some decent feedback uh, from Toon Army, from Stevie DR and uh, Tech Tanat. Um, they've all given us some really positive uh, feedback on that and touching on all the things that we're actually looking at introducing next year. So give us our thoughts or your thoughts. We know what we're thinking. What are you thinking? Uh, tell us all about it um, and we'll look at it and we'll come back and uh, you can shape what we do next year in terms of the podcast, in terms of the subjects, in terms of what we're actually doing with that. So I have spoken for uh, about 17 minutes now. So apologies for that. There was a lot to get through and it was all TV heavy. So uh, moving on very swiftly before we get into current competitions, Ed um is growing a moustache and there's a very good reason for that i've done this in the past um good on you movember tell us a little bit about what you're doing and i believe your other half's getting involved she's not growing a moustache after no doing that. no this is very important to stress that she's not um movember was originally um aimed pretty much uh, exclusively at um uh, male-specific cancers. Over the years, it's sort of had a bit of mission creep, but um, it's become uh, heavily focused as well on men's mental health, which is well, all mental health is is somewhat um, un under under discussed and, uh, and and slightly fraught. So, uh, or anything that assists with that, as far as I'm concerned, is a good thing. So, I am busy endeavouring to grow a moustache. At the same time, yes, uh, my partner is. Um, uh, running uh, 60k over the course of the month. I mean, the chances are that she'll probably do rather better than that at the end of these things. Um, but uh, the page for my um, donation set will go into the comments and um, I'll, I can stick things there. There will be um, unpleasant photo updates of how things are getting on. This is day nine. Um, it's not gone quite as badly as I thought it might, but, um, I mean, I still look like the sort of man who's been, you know, buying alcohol for minors. So, um, it's, <laughs> it's not a good look, but it's for, you, you it's for a good a, cause. 
you posted a photo the other day with your your um, sunglasses on, and uh, the first thing that popped in my head was uh, the video for Sabotage. They used to well, be it was it was a slight yes, yeah, slight dirty. You know, if 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 I was <laughs> if in in the UK, I'd I'd, I'd have have a slightly tatty uh, Vauxhall Senator. Um, but yes, that's what's going on. That's why I look more dishevelled than usual. Um, so yes, we'll pop the comments thing in there. And to anyone else that's doing it, I hope that you make it through the itchy phase because I haven't yet, and it's bloody horrible. So yeah, that's yeah. what's going on there. I have for a bit for a movie, Ed, and I have to. Everybody said there's a time when the itching goes away. This was specifically for Lincoln, and I'm sorry to tell you that the itching phase never went away. Well, for some people it doesn't. Um, so I'm resigned to being one of those people. We'll see how it goes, and we'll take it from there. But yes, that is. Um, that's what's going on at this point. We've just lost Phil. No, I'm we've... still here, but my... Um, oh, he's having cam camera issues. But yes. Issues. Uh, so, uh, hang on a second. I'll bring up the... bring up. The... I mean, obviously, just because we're not live doesn't mean we can't be any less slick than we normally are. Um, so, uh, moving swiftly on, uh, we've got current competition. So, whilst Phil has a quick fight with his viewing system, Ian, what can we win? Uh, lots. It's the short answer, but we'll Good. start with the big stuff. Um, open to all AB Forums members. There's uh, a chance to win a Wolfdale DX3 home cinema pack, uh, which is quite accurately described as a stylish and compact home cinema speaker set based on the company's Diamond 12 series. Uh, it's made up of four satellite speakers covering the fronts and rears. Uh, there's also a center speaker and a powered subwoofer thrown in. Uh, total is worth uh, a prize worth around £500, and that comes courtesy of Peter Tyson and IAG. Uh, people might want to be interested to know that that competition closes at midnight or just before midnight on the Wednesday, the 29th of November. So you've got a little bit of time to get your name in the hat, but don't delay. Um, and uh, as an added bonus, most of these competitions are usually open to our UK uh, residents, but we do have a competition open for US members uh, currently if they want to get in on the competition action um, with an exclusive chance to win a $500 uh, voucher to spend at MPB, which uh, most people should know by now is a platform for buying, selling, and trading used photo and video gear. Um, so that's one for our US members, and that competition is open till just before midnight on Tuesday, the 12th of December. So if you fancy winning $500 worth of, well, hopefully quality photo and video gear, then again, that's a good one to get your name in the hat for. Um, as usual, we've got a bunch of uh, disc competitions, which are also open to all AV Forums members. Uh, just to speed through them quite quickly, there's um, right here, right now, the Fatboy Slim documentary on Blu-ray, Visible Secret, 2001 horror comedy from Radiance Films, uh, also on Blu-ray, Ghost Dog, Where the Samurai, excellent film starring Forrest Whitaker uh, on Blu-ray, uh, Barbie, haven't seen yet, but it seems like a whole lot of fun, that's also available on Blu-ray. Uh, on DVD, you can win Mrs. Sidhu Investigates, uh, four-part Acon TV crime drama. Uh, you can also win Creation Stories on Blu-ray, which is by a pick of Alan McGee, apparently, who, if you didn't know, was the man responsible for supplying the Britpop soundtrack to the 1990s, apparently. Um, and we also have a bunch of exclusive offers for patrons, which includes the Transformers, Rise of the Beasts, Justice League, uh, Superheroes and Huntsman Part 2, Delicatessen, uh, The Witch and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Japanese Thrillers Door and Door 2, as a Warner Brothers studio uh, collection box sets, uh, Mortal Kombat Legends, uh, Cage Match, Little Bone Lodge, Chopper, uh, which is an excellent film, excellent Australian film with uh, Eric Banner. That's also in there on Blu-ray. Ginger Snaps Trilogy, uh, Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire Season 1 on Blu-ray, King and Country, and The Wandering Earth 2, uh, also on Blu-ray. All of those 
get all the details, see what you want. Everything's up on avforums.com slash competitions. Uh, as mentioned, all competitions are eligible to AV forums members or patrons resident in the UK. But of course, there is also that US exclusive one. So our US friends and neighbours can get in on the act as well this time around. OK, thanks very much, Ian. Uh, that is the competitions. And then moving on to uh, new supporters. We do have uh, some new signups. So why don't you tell us about that, Ed? Sure. Just wait for this to reload again. Uh, we have got... Um, uh, people who have bought us a coffee is um, Titch77 and Shielby. I was about to say Shelby, like your car, but it's not. It's Shielby. So thank you very much to you both. Um, uh, as I say, we've outlined what we might be doing a podcast in the future. I hope you're on board with that and uh, we'll see how it goes in 2024. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, I think we're all caught up. It's time now to get on with the show. Right, so we go from a really short ident to a really short presenter. Um, I'm going to be quick with this because we've got two TVs to get through on uh, this episode of the podcast. Uh, the reviews are up on the website now, so uh, if you want to get in-depth, you can do that. First of all, I'm going to look at Panasonic OLED. It's the MZ1500. And the big story with uh, this TV is basically that it's not the TV that it used to be. Um, so the 1500 model used to have the flagship panel um, that the 2000 model would have. And the 2000 model would also have a fully featured Dolby Atmos sound system. So it would have upward firing speakers built into the top of the TV and then a free channel sound bar built into the bottom of the TV. Um, and also two side speakers that were about three quarters of the way up each side of the TV that gave you uh, fire off to the side to give you like a surround effect. So it had a fully featured sound system and the top panel. That was the 2000 model. The 1500 model had the same panel, but none of the speakers. It had two downward firing 15 watt speakers if you needed some sound, but it was designed for the enthusiast. So the person who wanted the best possible Panasonic picture quality with the latest panel, uh, but without the big sound system. So they're not paying for something that they were not going to use. They were going to add it to their sound system. That's no longer the case. Uh, so the MZ1500 uh, no longer has the top end panel. It has last year's um, top end panel. So it doesn't have micro lens array that the 2000 model has this year, and it doesn't have the meta brightness booster that the uh, top panel has. Um, so it has last year's TV. It does have the heat sink, and it's still a relatively bright uh, OLED TV, um, and it has the HCX Pro AI processing and everything else that's uh, in the top end set when it comes to the processing and features. It just has a slightly um, reduced panel in terms of performance compared to the top model. And Panasonic's reasoning for this is that they want to add uh, different stages, different points to their range, because their argument last year was that the 1500 kind of got lost in the range. Um, it only really made sense to enthusiasts who didn't want the sound system, uh, but wanted to have the top panel. Um, so they now think that they are giving people more choice by having different performance levels, uh, different price points in their OLED lineup, and, and that's their reasoning for that. When pushed a little bit further, they wouldn't go out of the way to specifically say it came down to sales, but reading between the, the, the lines, it came down to sales. Um, they were not selling enough. The, that model was lost in the range and didn't uh, appeal to the, the widest possible um, uh, market. So if you look uh, directly on um, to the uh, MZ1500 uh, compared to the, the 2000, they look the same from the front. Uh, you know, they, they have the same uh, layout in terms of soundbar at the bottom and so on, but it is a different soundbar, it's different drivers. 
uh, and so on that's on that TV. So if you're an enthusiast, it's quite a disappointment that Panasonic's no longer producing a, a TV that would suit somebody with a, a, a full sound system. You, If you want the best panel um, from Panasonic, you're going to have to pay for a Dolby Atmos sound system that you don't particularly need or want. So uh, some people are going to have issues with that. Other people who are maybe just looking for a one-box solution um, you now have a choice uh, throughout the range. The 980, which is the MZ980, is the kind of the entry level uh, in terms of the premium processing chip uh, level. So you've got the 980. Uh, you then step up. It doesn't have the heatsink. You then step up to the 1500, which has the panel with the heatsink. And then the next step up is the 2000 with the full Atmos sound system and the MLA uh, panel on there, the latest panel. So that's your choices with the Panasonic. In terms of performance, can't really fault it. It, it it's a mid-range second tier tv in in the panasonic range and that's how i describe the performance it's kind of like a and a little bit better than an lg c3 um it's it's round about the oled 808 from philips um and the samsung c90c uh round about that kind of level of the market performance wise couldn't really fault it a thousand nit uh, peak brightness uh excellent um tone mapping, uh, great color, um, everything you expect from Panasonic. It has that Panasonic image uh, that you've come to expect. A couple of little issues, posterization around bright objects seems to be an issue um, for the Panasonics. It was last year, it's continued again into this year. Um, so you get a little bit of posterization around bright objects and so on. Um, but it's a solid OLED TV. Is it worth 2,200 quid um, for the 55? Again, it's going to come down to you, your budget, your use case. Um, the thing is, you've got so much choice this year when it comes to TVs and quality TVs. Um, basically, what I would say to you is, what is your use case? What are you going to be using the TV for? And there will be one that fits uh, fits what you're looking for. You don't have to go and buy a top-of-the-line TV to get everything that you need these days. Um, if, if there's things that you don't need, like sound system, you can normally find a, a, a different model from some other manufacturer. So, yeah. 1500 solid TV reviews up if you want to get into more detail on that one. And the video review is also up on our YouTube channel. Uh, so go and have a look at the uh, the video review for that. And then moving on to another interesting uh, TV from Panasonic. They've gone back to making LCD TVs and premium LCD TVs. This one's a mini LED. And the first thing is going to pop into people's heads. If you remember back to 2016, the launch of the DX902. Fantastic TV built from the ground up by Panasonic in terms of the LCD tech. Uh, fantastic full array local dimming backlight. Um, very, very clever processing. It looked uh, the dogs uh, when it came out in 2016. Um, this TV doesn't replace that. Doesn't get, doesn't get close to that performance because at the end of the day, manufacturers are not, apart from Samsung, are not spending money on development of LCD tech or mini LED tech. Um it is a Panasonic mini LED TV. It's got 128 separate zones. There's thousands of LEDs in each zone, but it's it's 128 separate zones. The processing is really good. The uh, There's blooming suppression in there. The image is what you would expect from that level of the market. So it's a £1,500 TV. Um, it's what you would expect in terms of Panasonic picture quality. It's accurate. It looks good. Blacks are not as deep uh, or as fluid as an OLED because it's not an OLED. Um, Black bars and scope films do look a little bit lighter in terms of blacks, not fully black. Um, but this is designed to be watched with the lights on. And with the lights on, you don't notice that. Uh, you don't notice any of the drawbacks of LCD technology. And let's face it, the drawbacks of LCD technology are well known. They've been around for decades. 
and nobody solved them up until this point um, and not likely to solve them. So as long as you're happy with the uh, the drawbacks that an LCD TV has in terms of image quality, watching in the dark and so on, if none of that bothers you, this is a cracking TV. Uh, it's good for gaming as well. So really decent uh, in terms of gaming, two HDMI 2.1 inputs, uh, 40 gigabit per second inputs. Um, has the new game bar feature, it has VRR and so on. Um, you can, uh, input lag is very good as well, 60 milliseconds and 5.9 milliseconds, uh, 60 and 120 hertz. Uh, we'll do 4K 120, uh, Dolby Vision at 60. Um, so yeah, it's a solid TV. Um, if you know what the restraints normally are, restrictions normally are in terms of the tech, and none of that bothers you, at least you're not going to have any issues with image retention. If you are a gamer and that kind of thing, it maybe appeals to you a little bit more. It's a solid living room workhorse, um, a solid TV um, that uh, it's certainly worth the money and um, it's well built. It's uh, And again, to call Panasonic uh, TV manufacturers, probably the wrong thing these days because um, not a lot of TV manufacturers actually manufacture TVs now. They buy the parts in and assemble the TVs. So um, yeah, it's, it's an assembled TV. It's got TCL panel in there obviously panasonic's processing on top of that there's a mediatek chip in there as well not the latest pentonic chips but uh, last generation mediatek so it's a solid tv um and if that, that's what you're looking for and you like panasonic in terms of its branding in terms of its image quality it is really accurate it looks great um then yeah it's a solid choice go read my review uh, on AV forums, you get a little bit more in depth. You can have a look at the graphs and all the the detailed results if you want them. And there'll be a video review uh, probably on Tuesday, so the day after this podcast goes out live. Uh, the video review will also be up for that TV. So before I finish on the TV side of things, any questions, guys, on those Panasonics or? Sorry, has Panasonic intimated that? I mean, is this? Uh, I mean, they've gone to the effort of producing an LED television. Are they going to make more than one of these things, or is it just a sort of water test? I, I think this is a bit of a test. I think they they can get the components, the fuel they can. You know, going back to twenty sixteen, that's when Panasonic were still building a lot of the stuff. They were still yes. a, a panel manufacturer and so on. And I think this is the first attempt where it's not their own stuff. They're actually buying um, the parts in and assembling the TV and adding the processing and everything else on top. So this is their first example of a TV at this level. And, and it's an impressive TV. Um, does it stand out from the competition? No, not particularly. Are there cheaper TVs out there that perform just as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's hard um, to stand out from the competition when you're making use of much the same components, realistically. Exactly. exactly. And, and and again, you've got the same with the OLED market, you know, vast majority are using uh, LG display panels. It's what they do with engineering and the processing and everything else on top of that and how they uh, add their differences in. And it's the same with, with LCD TVs. There's only, I think, three manufacturers still in terms of panel manufacturers. So, you know, you're, you're kind of limited on those choices. Um, it's the engineering that you can then add on to that panel. Um, to say it was a TCL TV, which I've seen a few people say in the comments, is pretty unfair. Uh, that's not the case. They're buying the panel in, but they are doing their thing uh, with the panel. The same as OLEDs and you know people buying an LG or Samsung display uh, panels, but then doing their own engineering on top of that. So, but yeah, Phil, they had always uh, sorry, Phil. They they'd always considered themselves as kind of market leaders in terms of tech and image quality and everything else. I know the Japanese manufacturers don't kind of hold that uh you know esteem anymore but that certainly used to be the case didn't it it did and um they, they are trying to hang on to that so 
I would still say that Panasonic uh, genuinely uh, pushed towards excellent picture quality, um, and you are guaranteed a certain level of picture quality from Panasonic, whether it's an LED, LCD, or or an OLED. Um, they have their philosophy when it comes to image, um, which is the creator's intent. They work a lot with Hollywood and so on, and a lot of colorists, um, you know, sign off on their TVs as well, and they are used professionally, and they have professional uh, menus on there for professional use. So they're very much trying to keep uh, that aspect of their business um, when it comes to TV. And of course, the professional side as well, Martin, they still make uh, grading monitors. They still uh, produce cameras that are used in motion picture yeah. um, and, and so on. So they still have that input. The same as Sony. I mean, Sony, um, they buy in their panels for their TVs from other manufacturers, but they still make grading monitors that are used in probably 50% of the facilities on the planet. Uh, their cameras are used in all sorts of production from TV drama all the way through to feature film. Um, you know, Cinealta cameras are, are, are world famous uh, for a certain look, um, almost up there with Ari in terms of uh, your cameras that are actually used in making the content. So it, both of those companies might not be manufacturing anymore but and, and more, you know, putting these, assembling these TVs, but there's still a lot of engineering in there. Still a lot of know-how when it comes to picture quality and certainly picture processing is where everybody's having the battle at the minute. How do you make your TV the absolute cream of the crop? And and it's interesting to see how manufacturers are doing that. You've got Panasonic really going for accuracy. You've got Sony who are, are pushing that message as well because they own a studio. They make all the kit that makes these feature films. So you should go and buy one of their TVs because the TV is going to give you that experience at home as well so those two manufacturers japanese manufacturers staying with that message but then you look at somebody like philips uh, and what danny tack does with their processing so they try and make things um they, they they like the accuracy but they want to take it a little bit further in terms of brightness in terms of um pushing a little bit more color but not excessively so um with their crystal clear and their processor so it's interesting to see how each manufacturer is now looking at TVs and 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 how do they create their niche? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting to see how it's going. And my prediction is that TCL and Hisense uh, they're the next LG and Samsung. If you look at where LG and Samsung were 10, 15 years ago, um, and and where they are now, and then you look at TCL and and Hisense at the minute. So two Chinese brands who are uh, they've done the 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 disrupt disruption side of things in terms of pricing. They're now setting the goal on quality. Um, and this is where where you're going to see some interesting developments over the next few years. Both of those companies have huge budgets as well. So they are obviously investing in R&D and pushing, you know, the next level of, of, of TV forward. So it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. So yeah, went off on a tangent there, but a good one. Thanks for your question, Martin. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, right. So I think that kind of wraps up TV. Um, just before we go uh, on to Hi-Fi, uh, just what's coming up from me. So I am working on a TCL uh, C745, uh, probably going to be bargain TV of the year. Stay tuned for the review. It's coming very soon. But I've been really impressed uh, with this TV. 650 quid. You get a lot for your money uh, in those terms. And uh, like I've hinted at, I've been looking at the Philips OLED Plus 908, their flagship of the year, MLA panel um, with their processing. And of course, Ambilight on top of that. Um, and the reason that this podcast is uh, being pre-recorded is that uh, when this podcast actually goes out, I'll be spending the day at Abbey Road, uh, Studio 2, 
Uh, so, which is in the limelight again because the Beatles had launched an, a, another single, the, the last ever single. Um, but the vast majority of their material was was done in Studio Two at Abbey Road. So I'll be there um, when this podcast goes out, looking at the Phillips 908 and also uh, Bowers and Wilkins sound system on that TV. There'll be a video that comes out uh, with that as well. So Josie's joining me on that day as well. We're going to really push the TV, calibrate it to an inch of its life and, uh, and test it in the surroundings of Abbey Road. So stay tuned for that video. But that's everything coming up. TV-wise, so we're going to hand over to Ed next for Hi-Fi. If you enjoy the podcast on YouTube, then please like and subscribe. If you're listening to the audio version, then please leave us a rating on your podcast app. We invite you to email questions and feedback to podcast at avforums.com and join in with this episode's discussion thread in the podcasts forum at avforums. Right then, thanks Phil. Um, Hi-Fi, we've got reviews from Martin and myself coming up, but first we have uh, some news stories. And first up, and I think by far and away the most important of the stories that we've curated for this week, um, are new products from Marantz. Uh Yes, indeed, there are two of them. Uh, the CD50N network player and the Model 50 integrated amplifier. Um, as the name suggests, the CD50N uh, not only capable of playing your compact discs, but it also comes with all of the access to all of the digital content that you can imagine. Um, it comes with Ethernet, Bluetooth, uh, Wi-Fi connections. Uh, it's a 32-bit Sabre DAC in there. Uh, it's got a Heos built in uh, and a bunch of other stuff. So both physical and digital media looks like a very interesting option. And along with that, it's also the Model 50 integrated amplifier, which offers up to 70 watts per channel uh, of class AB amplification. Um, both of those new arrivals are priced at £1,600 in the UK and are available now. Yes, we will hopefully be looking at those. Um, this not least because I think the CD concept is an excellent one. Um, this playing of optical discs, you know, that might catch on and being able to do network at the same time. Um, some of you remember we actually looked at the Model 30 versions of this. Uh, I mean, I'm intrigued at how different the 50s are. They're obviously less expensive, which means that certain things uh, can't be done in the same way. But nevertheless, I think it's good looking audio. And I think it's Marantz leaning into their differences and doing things in a slightly different way to sister brand Denon and indeed to everyone else. So we will be looking at those as and when we can. Um, now, if you want something that looks completely different, you uh, need to have a look at Ruark, don't you, Ian? Uh, yeah, they've announced the R810 uh, and what they call uh, the high fidelity radiogram. Uh, it's basically an, uh, an all-in-one uh, music system, um, which, yeah, it's got quite an interesting sort of retro design. It comes with a stand, uh, a big frame stand, so it basically becomes as much a piece of a furniture as it is a host for streaming all of your favourite music services and radio stations and so on. Uh, the unit itself comes with a couple of uh, built-in tweeters, two mid-bass units, uh, 200mm long-throw subwoofer, uh, and yeah, a very intriguing package, all of which is due to launch uh, some point in December with a £3,000 price tag. So do we like the look of it, I guess? Uh, well, now you see, this is interesting. I was speaking, uh, I, I won't name them, uh, someone who did uh, the public relations for Ruark for some years. Um, this isn't the first time they've made one this big. Uh, so they, they actually had another one that was, you know, a very big lad um, some years ago. And um it was the very definition of a Marmite product. They didn't exactly fly off the shelves, but the people that bought them didn't want anything else and are tremendously attached to them. I mean, this product exists in part because of the fanatical loyalty of those those people. It's worth pointing out that in the time since the first time they've done this, Ruark's really kicked on in terms of supported streaming services, ability to, you know, 
a Bluetooth to it, AirPlay to it. They've put a lot of additional functionality into all of their all-in-ones and tidied up the aesthetic at the same time. I'm not promising to review this one, not least because I don't think I could fit it in anywhere to review. So it's going to need, if, if you're desperate for me to do it, you'll have to accept that I'm going to have to do it somewhere else. But I do want to look at one of the smaller products as soon as I can make contact with someone capable of supplying one, uh, because they are, um, according to dealers and people whose opinions I don't disregard out of hand, on a bit of a roll at the moment. Last but by no means least is uh, something a bit more trad, uh, which is new power amplifiers from Cyrus. Yes, Cyrus Audio is uh, two new stereo power amps, uh, which are both quite similar in many ways. Uh, one of which is joining the XR series, uh, called the Power XR, and one joining the classic lineup, uh, unsurprisingly called the Classic Power. Um, both offer up to 144 watts into four homes. One of the differences is that the Power XR features compatibility with Cyrus's PSU XR external power supply, if you need to add a little extra kick to it, whereas the Classic Power uh, is uh, more in harmony with the PSX R2 power supply. Uh, but otherwise, very similar in terms of design and setup. Uh, uh, there is a difference in price. Power XR is priced at £2,995, but the Classic Power is down at £2,395. Uh, but it could be interesting to see how the two match up against each other and, of course, the competition. Yes, well, let's hope we, we may or may not be looking at these. We haven't done a huge amount of power amplifiers in the past, but um, if you have a burning desire for me to look at them, do let me know and we'll see what we can get sorted out. Thank you for that, Ian. Uh, right, we have uh, hi-fi reviews. In a bit, I'm going to be talking about the AudioLab 9000N and talking about some of the many comments that it's generated in 24 hours up on the site. But first, we're going to have a, uh, a brief overview of the Parasound new classic 200 integrated amplifier and DAC, which Martin has done, and I'm slightly jealous because unlike any Parasound item I've ever reviewed, it doesn't look like he would have herniated himself getting the bloody things out of the box. <laughs> well, um, yes, the Parasound 200 integrated is an integrated amplifier. Actually, um, not too difficult to get out of the box, um, Ed. Uh, no, it, it does looks... have quite a football field-like profile. The top plate is rather uh extensive it has quite a substantial depth i suppose um and a lot of parasound products as well as i'm sure you're aware are built like uh tanks which is yeah a... they, they they don't do just enough it's yeah. it's it's substantial stuff yeah but uh, i should note that this integrated amplifier does cost 1999 pounds in the uk whereas i believe stateside it's still about 1200 dollars which does right. make quite a big price disparity yeah i mean even even adding in duty and vat on top of yeah. excuse that, me stock, even adding the vat and the duty on top of that yeah. us dollar price and of course you've got sales tax in the us so it'll, you've got to add that on as well but even so that's still but even that. even if you average like let's say 10% for, you know, the highest state tax probably in California. Yeah. Uh, there's still a big disparity there across the pond. Yeah. Um, but uh, as some of you may know, uh, Parasound was founded by Richard Schramm, who actually left the organization last year. He's somebody I used to know when I lived in San Francisco. Very dedicated, very nice chap, and they produce fantastic stuff. But he is now out of the equation although they are still employing the services of John Curl, the rather expert circuit designer, uh, whose name is often attached to the more reference line 
of amplifiers, namely the Halo line. Um, they're distributed in the, in the UK by Mike and Phil of Connected Distribution over in uh, Cheltenham. Um, nothing much changes really in the, I guess, in the Parasound portfolio much at large. I mean, even this amplifier here, I think is five years old. I think it's a 2018 design, although I may be wrong on that. But nothing changes much. They add occasionally, um, in more recent years, they added the Zone Master and Z Custom lines, which are mostly for, as they are described, uh, either zoning applications or um, custom integration, so multi-room applications. And again, because these things are built like armadillos, they can easily be easily be strapped to masonry or up in lofts, whatever job they have to do. Um, manufacturing is done in Taiwan mostly, I think even for their uh, reference flagship Halo line, uh, but they've been doing this for many years, so that's not a uh, recent thing. And of course, Parasound has been around for, I think, more than 40 years now. I think they were formed in 1982. Um, so the 200 integrated is part of the new classic line, which I guess you could call a more conventional hi-fi line. They have uh, a couple amongst this uh, small range of um, two THX Ultra certified amplifiers, which are obviously sort of targeted at multi-channel and home cinema. The 200 integrated itself has a 1.7 inch, uh, one U rack space height, and <clears throat> much of the Parasound equipment is uh directed towards rack mounting and therefore sort of semi-industrial applications 7.25 inches wide which of course is the standard for uh rack width and rather like the zone master and z custom line equipment the 200 integrated does have that kind of signature ribbed front but although made from or forged from a very high quality brushed um steel and uh sort of very becoming for that fact, although looking also slightly utilitarian at the same time. Uh, two channels powered by Class D Pascal amps, 110 watts into four or eight ohms. Uh, the great thing about the 200 integrated, it has incredible uh, plethora of connections for all eventualities and future-proofing, if you like, and therefore loads of different applications if you just want to listen to streamed music, unfortunately, there's no Wi-Fi or Bluetooth um, afforded to you here. But that kind of is also typical of the Parasound thing. They don't go much for licensing new tech, but kind of stick to the uh, tried and tested technologies of your. Um, but there is something that's inherently solid and reliable in that approach, I think. Um, some of the key features involve uh, being able to bypass the preamp section. Uh, now, this can be useful if you're using a uh, an AVR that may not have the best uh, quality or output for your left and right uh, music listening, and of course, to enhance the front soundstage. You can also use the preamps to bypass the power amp power amps up to your own amplifiers. And uh, on board is its own uh, high pass crossover. So you might, for example, want to push a full signal out to you know, a pair of bookshelf speakers. Um, also in terms of bass management, you can set the crossover on the 200 itself as an 80 Hertz out, and, uh, or you can um, defer that out to 
uh, your subwoofer and control the crossover locally there. So there's lots of different options for uh, managing bass. And I have to say, in terms of performance, the um, seamlessness of the bass management and control in two or three of those scenarios that I've just mentioned um, above were, were beautifully executed. And, uh, you know, I would say Parasound really does have a good hold on this, but, you know, they do have an incredible home cinema, um, you know, legacy as well at the same time. Um, lovely dynamics. It's not the most powerful amplifier, but at 110 watts, I guess per channel, you wouldn't necessarily expect that to be the case. Great dynamics, but not of what I would call that kind of heft that you might find with reference uh, amplifiers, or certainly not their halo line. Um, but it's a very, um, uh, and I'm sure Ed might agree with this from what he knows of Parasound, but this amplifier is very clean sounding and you don't find it's uh, imposing any stamp on the uh, performance. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, you know, there's an American house sound and I think they're one of the less um, afflicted by this. It's generally speaking, you know, somewhere close to the straight wire with gain ideal. So it's interesting to see that they've managed. Oh, hang on a second. Just give me a moment. Um... And um, just to add really, yes, I, I, you know, I've mentioned the great build quality before, you know, even even if you are paying that premium in the UK, don't necessarily wander over to look at the competition without removing this from your inquiry first, because the Parasound build quality really is exceptional. Um, but again, yeah, like we've mentioned, very high price for the UK market. So uh, always consider Parasound. They're not necessarily the manufacturer that comes up uh, that often at the top of people's lists, but uh, definitely consider them. They're a very dedicated, small team of engineers and marketeers, and um, I've always been a big fan of their stuff. Perfect. Sorry about that. Another AV Forums review product is in the process of turning up, which is the occupational hazard of doing this during the middle of the day. Um, right. Reviews up on the site. So do um, check that out. Thank you very much for that, Martin. Um, I'm going to be relatively brief on mine because the review is already up on the site. And my word, some of you have got some strong opinions about it. Audio Lab. 9000N. Uh, it's the flagship Audio Lab streamer. It's yours for a brisk £2,499. Um, the big deal about this one is unlike previous Audio Lab streamers, which use DTS PlayFi, which has mixed responses. I have to say I'm not a fan. I've never truly gelled with it. It's not my favorite. Um, they've dispensed with that and they're using um, an operating system uh, which has been essentially originally developed by another streaming company called Lumin and Audio Lab is the first people who have licensed it in this form and they're the first people to ever use it wirelessly. Now, um, I think this is a sensational product. It does something which is tremendously unusual. Um, it is, it, you know, it's a pig to write about because it imparts almost no character of its own. Um, it is one of the most impressively transparent devices I can remember testing um, under £5,000. Um, however, the fact that it is £2,500 appears to be a huge stumbling block. I need to uh, just approach this until, obviously, if, you know, if you don't want to spend £2,500 on product, you don't. We've reviewed products where you don't have to. I will say that the world doesn't stop at the point where some of these, you know, more affordable offerings cease. Uh, there are still increments of performance to be gained. And then on a more subjective level, there's also a user experience to be gained as well. Now, if you ascribe no value to that user experience, that's absolutely fine. But for the same reason that I don't simply survive on Soylent or uh, just use my phone to tell the time, 
there are elements to how you interact with things around you, which I think, you know, you, you might need to park with both this and certain other review products. Is it 20 times, well, 10 times better than a WIM Pro Plus? No, of course, it can't be 10 times better than the WIM Pro Plus, but it does certain things that the WIM cannot do. And if you ascribe no value to some of those functions, that's fine, but a number of other people will. Now, you can... Um, effectively uh take the review on its own merits and then you can plow through the comments if you are feeling up for a laugh um and you know i'm glad that it has attracted the comment that it has we are a forum i do want your opinions um i just need to make it clear that essentially with certain products they are going to come across as expensive they exist in small quantities they're quite specialist items and you know, you either you're either on board with it or you're not. But we're not going to stop looking at them because a subset of people are not on board with it. If you've got any questions about it, I think I've covered pretty much everything in the review. It does an awful lot of things extremely well. The perhaps the only slight own goal on the part of Audio Lab is that it doesn't have a, um, a an extensive set of additional dig digital inputs because they've put those digital inputs on the matching amplifier. If you aren't buying the matching amplifier, you just get a solitary USB connection, which isn't much use to connect a television to. If you can overlook that, and obviously there are products at the same price which do have more in the way of inputs. We looked at the Cyrus Stream XR, which can't handle the same number of formats, but is more flexible in this regard. You do have choices. You pay your money, you take your choice. If you are, and we were going back to the conversation about measurements and the, the ideal, if you are genuinely looking for the cleanest, lowest distortion performance that I can remember testing in a very long time, that has to be something that you should be looking at. Um, as I say, reviews up on the site. Other things coming from me, we've got the Riga Aya loudspeaker. Um, we've got, what else did I do? I did lots of things. Um, and just in terms of things that have turned up, a pair of triangle loudspeakers have literally been heading through the door, as I've been saying this. Um, and we've got Arcam's new Radio A25 in and running as well. And that's a very interesting piece of kit. So there's lots it's to free. do. I've also just uh, um, submitted a review for the Octavio Maestro pair of active speakers. Oh, lovely. Yeah. yeah. Good. So there's lots and lots of stuff. And then there's a the small matter of Edison's choice, which I need to have a discussion with Phil about no later than the end of this week. Yep. So that's yep. all heading up to. Right. Now, very quickly, um, uh, album and vinyl of the podcast is a combined one because <laughs> this is going to divide opinion. Um, it's the new album from DJ Shadow. It's called Action Adventure. Now, if you're thinking, oh, I know how this one sounds. No, you absolutely don't. Uh, it's different. Uh, the, yep. At times, it sounds more like craft work than anything else. But I love it. It made me think, it made me go, oh, I like that, don't like that. I wanted to listen to it more than once. I think it's a gen, I, I like the fact that he's continuing to push and that he's continuing to innovate. Um, it is available on all major streaming services. It is available on vinyl. It's available on CD and cassette if the fancy takes you. So that is my choice there. Um, then additional to that um, is a playlist on Cobuzz, which is high resolution music from the 1980s. Um, because why not? I mean, you've all wanted to listen to, um, you know, various uh, sheeny classics at 192 kilohertz. So um, that you can, thanks to the wonders of Cobuzz compiling just the sort of thing that you need. Um, those are the items. At some point, I'm going to have to come up with an album of the year for the end of the podcast, and that's not going to be easy either because there's been some 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 good ones. You can but maybe that, add a couple of categories to make it easy. Yeah, we might have to do that. You're right. Yeah. Um, so that's what's going to happen there. Um, as I say, any feedback, any questions, get them into the YouTube thread or the uh, comment thread on the forums, and I will do my best to get back to you with something approaching an answer. So that is the hi-fi section. 
Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Ed. Uh, yeah, great to see the review get in the comments. It did, the Audio Lab. Um, it's one of those products that definitely makes people ask questions. I mean, obviously, the obvious question is two and a half grand for a streamer, mm -hmm. but that's missing the point. And and again, like we said with the TV, Ed, um, earlier in the podcast, uh, you know, it's what suits your use case. What is it that you yeah. are looking for and what are the products that fit in into that and what is it you actually want that product to do? And yeah, we're going to have to look at this in more depth next year because I think yeah, there absolutely. are some misconceptions. So, we'll, yes, yeah, we'll so. set about that with some gusto. Yeah, but it's an interesting product. And I know you've got another streamer coming in that's going to be incredibly popular as well, around about the same price point. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see you. Yes. Oh, yes. As, uh, it was left on my doorstep. I'm glad I got it because <laughs> I just came back from parents' evening. It was there lurking. £2,000 worth of box just, just by my front door. It's but yes, a small company called Eversolo. I think the last one we did, it did all right, didn't it? it so let's see how we get on numbers. with that. Yeah. yeah really so well, yes, so yeah. that's that's on its way as well. So yes. Okay. Well, um, that wraps everything up for this week's podcast. Um, again, thanks to the guys uh, for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for watching and listening or doing both. Um, don't forget to leave your comments. The The best way to do that is on the forum. So head to AV Forums, uh, forum list, go right down the bottom and you'll find the AV uh, Forums podcast. Go in there, find this episode, add your questions, your feedback and everything else. And do give us your feedback on what you think uh, about the idea um, of splitting the podcast off into uh, sections, um, categories and going into a little bit more depth and maybe doing a bit more in terms of explainers and tutorials and all that kind of thing. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you'd like to see from us. Um, is it more interviews? You know, Do you want to see more of the industry um, coming onto the podcast? And uh, perhaps with us not doing live podcasts uh, next year and being pre-recorded, um, that may make it easier to get people of the industry. And you, you, sometimes they panic when it's live because they think, what are you going to ask me? Um, but yeah, uh, give us your feedback. Let us know what you, you want from the AV Forums podcast. And of course, with the movie side as well, I haven't mentioned movies. Um, let us know what you want to see with the movies podcast. Are you enjoying the format as it is? Um, what would you like to see more of? What would you like to see us adding in there? Maybe perhaps changing. Should we split that one out into different categories? Give us your feedback. Let us know what you think and uh, we'll let you know how things go uh, by the end of the year. So the next uh, AV Forums podcast is the movies edition. Um, that's coming along on Monday, the 20th of November. That will be live at 8.30. Uh, that's our normal kickoff time. We want to join them live. And then this main uh, AV Forums podcast, we're back again in two weeks' time on the 27th of November. And again, we're starting at the usual time of 7 p.m. and it will be live. Uh, so you can join us uh, for that. And of course, if you've enjoyed the podcast, then you could do all the social media, uh, cliched stuff like liking and subscribing and all the rest of it. And of course, you can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash AV Forums. If you appreciate what we do here and you want to give us a, a coffee, that'd be appreciated. Thank you very much for those of you who have done that so far. Um, I'm Phil Hinton. Thank you very much for watching and listening. And we'll see you again soon. Good night. <laughs>